Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll Thank you for letting me help you learn God's Word. And if you want to learn more, go to markdriscoll.org. I've got a weekly newsletter answering your questions, daily devotions, blogs that are Bible teaching and their orientation, and a small mountain of sermons going through lots of books of the Bible. So join me at markdriscoll.org and we'll help you learn even more of God's Word. Father God, thank you so much that you are a relational God and that you made us to have a relationship with you and you made us to have a relationship with one another. And Lord God, we find in our relationships some of our greatest pleasures and our deepest pains, some of our strongest gladness and some of our most burdening griefs. And so God, as we enter into this conversation about relationships, making significant relationships, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you illuminate the scriptures which you have inspired to be written? Would you help those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus begin a relationship with him? For those of us who do know you, may our relationship with you, Lord God, be strengthened. And through that relationship, may we have the grace to build significant relationships with others. And we ask all of this in Jesus' good name, amen. Well, today's topic is making significant relationships. So think about it with me for a moment. All the people that you have a relationship with, your immediate family, extended family, people in your neighborhood, your neighbors, coworkers, maybe employees, maybe people that you contract for business, maybe people that you just interact with enough at the store or wherever the case may be, you actually know them to some degree. Think of ministry relationships, think of friends, think of former friends, think of people that you're not even sure what bucket to put them in. You're like, well, they were and now they are and I don't know what it is. And relationships define our life. That point was driven home to me when God gave me a burden for the planting of the Trinity Church. One of the things that I did, I got on airplanes and I went to various states and I met with significant pastors and leaders that had healthy marriages, healthy churches. And I asked them, how do you do that? And they let me watch their family and hang out with their staff and go behind the scenes and take notes and just observe and to learn. And I'll never forget it. I was sitting down with these different pastors in different states at different times. They were all incredibly helpful and I took a ton of notes, but one line in particular, it's like the Holy Spirit highlighted it and it's rang in my ears ever since. And this one pastor looked at me and he said, relationships define your life. Relationships define your life. For good or evil, relationships define your life. And that's absolutely incontrovertibly True. And so I've been really looking forward to teaching this sermon because we're a brand new church, just building relationships. And I wanna set some biblical parameters framework for relationships. Because so many of us, we have relationships and we're always working in them that we don't take the opportunity to pull back and to look at them. And all of our energy is going into our relationships. Today, I want us to be looking at our relationships. And I want you to know that, and, and this is gonna be how the sermon goes. For you note takers, you're welcome, okay? It's a two, three, four, nine point sermon. Two kinds of relationships, three kinds of people, four helpful habits. You can tell the note takers are like, thank you, Pastor Mark. I will write that down now. I got a two, three, four. You're number one, Pastor Mark. Okay, good. All right, here we go. Making significant relationships, two kinds of relationships, godly and godless, okay? Godly relationships begin with God, it's God first. And so what a godly relationship does, it opens the scriptures and, and the person in the relationship says, okay, where do we begin in our understanding of relationships? We don't begin down here, we begin up there. And you realize there's one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call this the Trinity, you're at the Trinity Church. This is very important to us. So everything begins with God. There is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have a perfect eternal relationship. They love each other and do life together. And so relationship doesn't begin down here, it begins up there. And this is different. Some other religions, like for example, Muslim theologians and scholars will say that God made us because God was lonely. God wasn't lonely, God was doing fine. All we've done is complicated his itinerary, amen? That's all we've done for God. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is the source of relationship, is the example of relationship. And then God makes one man named Adam and God wants that man to be in relationship with him. So the first relationship that we are supposed to have is a relationship with God. 
And then God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. So God makes a woman to be his wife and stand alongside of him. Her name is Eve. So the first human relationship between two people is between a husband and a wife. If you are married or get married and 90 plus percent of you will, the first most important human relationship is the relationship with your spouse. With your spouse. Number one, God. Number two, spouse. The relationship with God is to flow into relationship with spouse and from there flow forth into all other relationships. And let me pick on the men for a moment because I can. Now for you men, let me ask you, how is your relationship with God? How is your relationship with your wife in relation to God? Since moving to this great valley that I love and is home for us, I have started asking Christian husbands that I meet, how's your prayer life with your wife? Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray with your wife? I have not yet had a man tell me this, I pray with my wife. I have had many men say, I sit with my wife in church, I sit with my wife in Bible study, but we don't sit together and talk to God. A godly relationship is first, a relationship with God. How's your relationship with God? Second, if you are married, relationship with your spouse that is in relationship with God, and then all other relationships flow from those first two relationships. That's a godly relationship. And what that does is it brings God first and God center so that all relationships orbit around God. And what this does, this meets your deepest longing and needs, right? You now have an identity, you have security, you have passion, you have purpose, you're loved, you'll, have, you'll never exhaust God, right? You'll never befuddle God, you'll, you'll never outrun God. So now your deepest longings and needs are met by God. Then God becomes your life and others can share your life. A godless relationship, God is not your life. Someone or something else becomes your life. A godless relationship is one that basically says, all I need you to be for me, it's just one thing. It's only one thing I need from you. Just be God. That's all I need. Never leave me, never forsake me, never fail me, never get frustrated with me, never give me bad advice, you know, never get tired of me. Give me an identity, save me, complete me, heal me. And these are the three ways that it works itself out. My life is painful, my life is difficult, I'm in a difficult place, save me, come be my savior. Right, single ladies, right, right, right? Just some man, save me, just save me, save me. No, 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 wrong savior, wrong savior. No one can save you but Jesus. Right, heal me. I have hurt in my past. I'm broken. I'm wounded. I'm discouraged. I'm despairing. Heal me. Fix me. Heal me. Fix me. No, wrong healer. Right? Completer. I'm alone. I need someone. I, I need to be in a relationship. I can't be by myself. I need someone to, to be there for me that I can count on it to put. Wrong, wrong completer. Every relationship that is godless takes God out of the center and God out of first relationship position and then is recruiting, inviting someone else and then handing them God's resume. We do this with our spouse and we crush them. We do this with our children. We crush them. We do this with our friends and we smother them. We do this with others and, and they disappoint us and then we're hurt because they were such a terrible God. But let me just submit to you that the resume we handed them was not really fair in the first place, amen? Heal me, save me, complete me forever and ever, amen. That's a godless relationship. It's someone in God's place and someone other than God first. How's your relationship with God? Before you move on to other relationships, you gotta make sure that your deepest needs, your greatest longings are met in your relationship with God first. And then you will be a person that is full to then go pour into someone else rather than someone who is empty looking for someone else to fill you. Two kinds of relationships, three kinds of people. Now, before I say, all of this, and we'll be in this section of the Bible for a long time. These are major themes of the Bible. We're gonna talk about wise, foolish, and evil people. 
two things. Number one, we're all foolish in some areas. Some of us are even evil in some areas, but we're all, nobody could say, I'm wise. <laughs> That's the first thing that a wise person doesn't say, okay? <laughs> the first thing a wise person says is, there's areas I still am learning and growing and needing to change, and, and there's a lot of work that God's still doing in me. So in, in all of our lives, let's just say that maybe you've got areas of your life where you're wise, and maybe there's areas of your life where you're foolish, and perhaps even for some, most or all of us, there are areas of our life that we can be pretty evil. And so you've got to ask yourself, before you judge anyone else, judge yourself, before you evaluate anyone, evaluate yourself, where am I wise, where am I foolish? Because the truth is, you can be wise in one area and foolish in another, right? You could be a person who's really good at business, really good at banking, you know how to turn a profit, you're very, 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 very gifted, and when it comes to relationships, you're just a head on collision because you get dollars, not people. You get things, not emotions and vice versa. So number one, we're all in different categories and different things. So there's some humility as well as some encouragement. Number two, okay, this will offend you, but marinate on it. We should treat people differently. I know you're saying we're in America. No, 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 no. We should treat people differently, not because of race or class or age, but because of character. Character you can control, that's up to you. And if we treat people differently based upon character, well, they get to decide how we treat them. Some of you say, no, 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 that's discrimination. Not all discrimination is bad. Try smoking in a kindergarten class and you will see that that's discrimination, but it's not necessarily bad. Drunk drivers, you know, you get pulled over, you're discriminating. Yes, we do. So give me the keys and get in the patrol car. Um, true or false, let me give you a case study and example. Uh, you're married, you've got kids, hypothetically, it's date night, you hear a knock on the door and there's grandma and some dude you never met, okay? And they both ask, can we be alone with the children for a few hours? Do you flip a coin? Or do you say, uh, grandma? Yes. Strange dude? No. We treat different people differently. We treat people that we know and trust and love who are safe different differently than people that we don't know and differently than people that we know are evil. Okay, here's where I wanna tell you this. Some of you keep hurting yourself because you're a tender heart, you're a dear soul, and you read the Bible and it says, love people, reconcile with people, have fellowship with one another, confess your sins to one another. And if you do that with evil people, you're gonna hurt yourself. You can't be naive, you need to be wise. My hope, my prayer, my goal is not that we become judgmental people, but that we become wise people who begin by judging ourselves. Okay, so now, now I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go through these great themes of the Bible. And if you're a Bible person, you're gonna, you're gonna just realize these are, these are characters throughout the whole Bible, but especially in what we'll call the wisdom literature of which Proverbs 24 verses one through three and five through seven is a part. And this comes from a book called Necessary Endings. And I borrowed it from Dr. Henry Cloud and Grace and I had dinner with him not long ago. I got to ask him more questions on this. I find it very helpful. Be not envious of what kind of people? Evil, oh, that's naming. Yeah, it's important. Some people are evil. Some of you say, I don't believe that. You should. That's why you have locks on your doors and you move to an open carry state. Not everybody's safe, amen? <laughs> okay. Do not be envious of evil men nor desire to be with them for their hearts, what? Devise violence. They're always trying to find a way to hurt people and their lips talk of trouble. Second category, a wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might for by wise guidance, you can wage your war and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. What he's saying is wise people look for wise counsel. Wise people look for wise counsel. Some people are evil, some people are wise. Third category, wisdom is too high for a fool. 
In the gate, he does not open his mouth. Three kinds of people, evil, wise, and foolish. Okay, before you judge others, judge yourself. But let's deal with wise, foolish, and evil in these categories. It's sort of a descending scale. So let me give you some marks of the person who is wise. Number one, they're humble. They're like, I'm not always right. I'm not the center of the universe. Other people matter too, and I'd like to learn and grow. They're humble. Number two, they're teachable. You're like, hey, let me talk to you about this. Cool, I'm willing to listen. Hey, I was reading in the Bible and I think you should look. Cool, that's great, good book. I'm looking for stuff to learn. Hey, there's this good book. Well, let me go buy it and I'll read it. They're teachable. They're teachable. Number three, they embrace reality. Say, do you see this? They're like, I do see it. Do you see that's a problem? I do see it's a problem. So is reality gonna change or are you gonna change? You're like, you know what, I'll change. I talked not long ago with a guy. He's really a fool. Sometimes he's evil to his wife and she just keeps telling him like, things change or I'm gone. I told him, I said, dude, reality is you're sometimes foolish and sometimes evil and your wife is about done and you better adjust, you better course correct because this ain't gonna work. And here, he was not wise, he was foolish. He's like, well, she needs to change. I'm telling you, bro, she's on a train and it's coming down the mountain and you're standing in the tracks, right? Like that's reality. You could just say, right, train need to move. Or you could just like move, right? Reality is happening. You need to adjust yourself to reality. That's what wise people do. Um, they have empathy, number four. When a wise person does something, they recognize how others are implicated. Well, how did that make you feel? What did that do? I, I'm so sorry. When I did or said that, I didn't understand that you would experience that. And now that you tell me, I grieve because I feel bad about causing you pain. There's empathy there. Um, they're number five, responsible. You go to a wise person, you say, uh, okay, this is your relationship with God. You need to take responsibility for it. Okay, I received that. It's my, I gotta read my Bible, pray, get in relationship. I gotta get my stuff together. This is your marriage, right? right. You need to take responsibility for your marriage. These are your kids. Your kids are not doing well. You're the parent, they're your responsibility. Wise person says, tell me my responsibilities. I will take responsibility for me and others. Number six, they seek to learn and grow. Wise people ask a lot of questions and they do so from other wise people. Let me give you a little clue. If you meet somebody who's wise in an area that you want to be wise, don't ask to meet with them every week for coffee. Because the first thing a wise person says is, now, I can't commit to the rest of my life an hour every week. A wise person will say, let's get together once, you ask questions, I help you, and then I see what you do. And if you do something, I'll meet again. And if you keep doing things, I'll keep meeting with you. But they wanna know whether or not they're investing their time and energy in someone who is wise or foolish, because a foolish person never does anything and a wise person takes action. So if you have an opportunity to meet with a wise person, the first thing you do, you pray, you approach them, you ask them for a time that is convenient for them, and then you think through the questions you wanna ask them, and then you be quiet almost the entire time and take copious notes. And when you're done, go do what they said. Go do what they said so that you can be wise, because wise people are teachable. They wanna learn, they wanna grow. and. Uh, and number seven, they welcome the messenger. So if somebody truly is wise and you're approaching them with a genuine heart of love, not just the heart of a critic, you said, I'd like to talk to you about this or help you with this. The wise person says, thank you. Because what happens is correction builds connection. That's how it works with a wise person. That correction builds connection. The more you help course correct them, the closer they feel to you, the more they love you and appreciate you. So they welcome the messenger. I'll give you a foolish people, we'll deal with in a moment, they, they don't respond this way. Um, Grace and I for years have dealt with pre-married couples and so we would do a class here at the church for pre-married couples and newly married couples. And uh, a wise couple is a couple that comes up to, you know, a godly couple, there could be any of the godly couples in the church and says, we're engaged to be married or we're newly married and we'd like to meet because we'd like to learn because we've never been married and we don't know what we don't know. Is that wise? Yeah. You see, a wise person is not necessarily an, 
an intelligent person, sometimes we think is, of wisdom and knowledge as the same. They're actually different. Knowledge is a lot of information, but wisdom is what enables transformation. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And so what I, what I wanna say is you can be a person who doesn't have a high IQ, didn't have a high grade point average, and is still wise if you receive wisdom and act on it. So I'll give you a case study, two couples not long ago. One came up and said, we're engaged to be married. Is there anybody we could meet with? Anything we could read? What do we need to know? Because we really wanna learn and grow. Wisdom, right? Met another couple, newly married, struggling. How's it going? Not so good. Okay, well, do you wanna meet with somebody or talk to somebody? Nah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Oh, yes, you will. Yeah, yeah. That's like a soldier saying, oh, we'll find the landmines by driving over them. No, you will find them. But it would have been smart to maybe ask a general where they're buried, amen? How many of you have been married and everybody who is engaged knows nothing about marriage, okay? You don't even know who you're married to till the first year is over. Before then, they're pretending and then the real them shows up, okay? It's, I'm just telling you how it is, okay? A wise person says, you know what? I don't know, you know, tell me so I can know. That's a wise person. And it doesn't mean that they're the most intelligent, but sometimes they're the most receptive. We'll give you an analogy. They're a bucket that has a bottom. So what do you do with a wise person? More time, more energy, more love, more investment. I give you more because you contain and retain it and you act on it and you pour it out to others. Foolish person, totally the opposite. Totally the opposite. They're proud, very proud. You're wrong, I disagree. Really? Because your life is not working. Um, number two, unteachable. I'd like to talk to you about this. Well, I didn't ask. Why don't you read this book? Why don't you read that book? Okay, great. And sometimes they're passive aggressive. You're like, hey, have you looked at this part of the Bible? No, but thank you. <laughs> now they're not gonna read it. Right, sometimes foolish people are like a bobblehead. They're just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, that was a good conversation. They listen, no, no, no. They were just biding time to get you to stop talking so they could go back to what they were doing. They're not really teachable. Okay, if you're married to them, it's good you brought them. Okay, number three, I didn't think that was funny, but okay. Um, what happens with a wise person, they embrace reality. A foolish person wants reality to change for them. A wise person says, well, that's reality, I need to adjust. A foolish person says, reality needs to adjust for me. They're unwilling to make life change. Um, number four, they could be very selfish, low empathy. The things that they're doing are hurting tons of people and they don't pay attention and they don't really care. You go up to a foolish person, you're like, do you know how you made them feel? They're like, well, do you know how it made me feel? Like, oh my gosh, really? Like, it's always about you. It's only about you. There's a universe and you're the center and we all orbit around you. There's no empathy for others. Number five, they're, <laughs> they're oftentimes irresponsible because they see themselves as a victim. Yes, I'm like this, but my life is hard. Let me tell you my story. And it's always, you know, law for you, grace for me. Be understanding of all that I've gone through. And then I push my pain and burden over to you because I'm the victim. Now, what happens with an irresponsible person, this will explain some of your relationships, Irresponsible people, it's like they're a truck with a full load driving around looking for someone to dump it on. And what they look for is overly responsible people. You know how this works? So the irresponsible person is driving around, full load, all these burdens, responsibilities, I gotta pay my bills, you know, get through my addiction, get my life together. Who's gonna, man, that's a lot. Where can I dump this load and have them sorted out? Oh, there's an overly responsible person. Boop, boop, boop. I love you, God bless you. <laughs> Drive away. And then the overly responsible person is sitting there buried like, how did I end up with all your responsibilities? How many of you, this is your kid? Right? You're like, oh, did he say that? He did, he says things he shouldn't. That's, that's how he does it. Okay? <laughs> right? All right, how many of you, this is how you get into a dating relationship. Okay, ladies, let's just do this. Okay, I don't know if this is gonna go on the internet, but let's just, let's just do this. You're an overly responsible young woman who finds an irresponsible young man. 
he wants to use, you need to be needed. So he backs up his truck, dumps all his responsibilities on you. Now he's living at your house, driving your car, eating your food, frustrating your father. And that works until you have children because it's good to have a baby. It's not good to marry one. Just something to pray about, okay? Throwing it out there. And what happens to the foolish person, they shoot the messenger. So you right now who are on Twitter, you're like, that, I can't say it because we're in church, but that guy is saying things that are just not right, send. You shoot the messenger. The person comes in like, we need to talk about this. No, we don't, we need to talk about you. And they'll change the subject. That's what the foolish person does. Now, what happens is, with foolish people, they take all of their burden, responsibilities and pain and they shift it to someone else. The question is not who's gonna carry that load. Excuse me, the question is not will that load be carried but rather who will carry it. A wise person says, okay, load me up. That's my responsibility. Foolish person says, hey, mine too. Put them both in your pack and carry them up the hill. So what do you do with a foolish person? Well, you love them but you start to give them consequences. Look, sweetheart, if you're gonna keep dating unbelieving boys, they can't come and stay at our house. Look, son, if you're just gonna drink, we're not gonna keep paying for college because it's very expensive for you to get drunk at college and flunk, okay? There's consequences, there's consequences. And the consequences are not cruel or mean. They're trying to get the person to feel the pain that they're giving to others so that hopefully they start to take responsibility and move toward wisdom. The goal is not just to crush them, but to move them. Does that make sense? So you big hearted people, you're like, this is so mean. No, 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 they're being very mean and we need to help them learn that they're being mean so that then they can stop being mean. And it's not mean to help a mean person stop being mean. That's actually very loving, gotcha. Okay, now third category, evil people. Evil, violence, trouble. Some of you have relationships with evil people because they're advantageous to you. You have a common enemy, you form an unholy alliance. I want them hurt, they're evil, hey, we're friends, okay? The problem is when you make an unholy alliance with an evil person, when they're done harming your enemy, they become your enemy and they start harming you. These are not safe, good, godly people. Some of us pick foolish friends because they're fun, right? They're really fun and a mess. And sometimes we pick evil people as friends because we have a common enemy. So here are some marks of an evil person. And again, if you read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Job, James, the wisdom literature in the Bible, it talks about these categories of people over and over and over. If you wanna do a good Bible study, just read Proverbs and just make categories. Wise, foolish, evil, and see what it has to say. Here are the marks of an evil person. They're dangerous. And some of you, you've been in a relationship with an evil person and you don't even know how to get out because they're so dangerous, they'll hurt you for trying to get out. Uh, number two, they're usually the righteous victim, meaning something has happened in their life to where they feel like now I've got a blank check to go say or do whatever I want and cause harm wherever I go because that's what I have coming to me. Uh, number three, sometimes these people are hurt and you need to understand that sometimes people who are hurt hurt people. Sometimes people who are hurt, they hurt people. They've been hurt and rather than forgiving and healing, they have just begun participating in that pattern of hurting. And sometimes it's demonic. They're tormented and they become tormentors. They stalk you, they threaten you, they follow you on social media. I mean, these are people that escalate and get very, very dangerous, right? Sometimes they are hurt people who hurt people. Sometimes they are tormented people who are tormenting people. They work through a sense of entitlement. You owe me. That's what you're gonna hear from an evil person. You won't hear that from a wise person. A wise person walks in grace. An evil person, they do not walk in grace. They walk in entitlement. And here's how it works with an evil person. What's mine is mine. What's yours is 
Mine too. Mine too. Other mark of an evil person, they work through threatening. You give me what I want or I'll hurt you or I'll hurt someone that you care about. And James has this line, he talks about bitter envy and selfish ambition. They're bitter, jealous, and self, you shouldn't have that, I have. You should not be that, I should. This is what you have, that's what I should have. There's jealousy, envy, bitterness. That's evil, that's evil. Well, what do you do with evil people? It's interesting, there's a guy, he, uh, he's a specialist, he works with military, police, and secret service and others. And, and he says, with evil people, if you engage, you will enrage. If you engage, you will enrage. They are like a grenade with a pin pulled. There's no good way to engage them. So what you need to do is separate yourself from them. I'll give you an example, case study. Grace and I, over the years, we've had the great honor of helping a lot of assault victims, particularly women. It's part of our ministry and heart. And dozens, maybe hundreds of times, baby, we've been asked this question. Let's say there is a, a little girl who is abused by an uncle, a grandpa, a father, an older male authority figure. That gal grows up, she meets Jesus, she gets some healing, and she starts reading the Bible about loving people and forgiving people and, and reconciling with people, and her heart is open. She is genuine in her desire to be godly. Well, then her abuser comes back into her life now that she's a mother with her own children and asks, well, can I see the kids? And the answer is no. And sometimes an evil person will start quoting Bible verses. Satan knows the Bible, he quotes it to Jesus. Oh, I thought we're supposed to reconcile. I thought yours was a God of love. I, think, I thought we were supposed to you know, trust one another. I love you, I forgive you, but I don't trust you because of your character. And we treat different people differently. And you are choosing the way I am treating you by your behavior. And if you were unsafe and you are unsafe, I will not put the children in harm's way so that you can abuse them too, because that's what evil people do. Evil people will even use the Bible to cause harm. They're not above that. Now you foolish people, be careful because sometimes what happens is the evil person will use the foolish person to get to the wise person. I'll give you another case study. Jesus had 12 disciples. He had a couple fools, amen? Still does, one right here, okay? Peter was a bit of a fool. He grew in wisdom. Judas Iscariot, wise, foolish, or evil? Evil. He stole from Jesus for three years, agreed to participate in his murder. He's possessed by Satan, that's evil. He comes up to Jesus and what does Jesus tell Judas Iscariot? I know what you're gonna do, do it. What he doesn't say is, I think with enough therapy, we could have matching sweatshirts, ride a tandem bike and go to each other's birthday. <laughs> right? What he says is, you're evil, Jesus is wise. And what Jesus is saying is, if you are determined to do evil, you will do it without me. You go do what you're gonna do. I'm gonna go do what I'm gonna do. And what you're gonna do is evil and I will not participate. So what do you do with evil people? you absolutely have to sever relationship until they at least move toward foolish or wise and are making some progress and wanna help. And here's what I'd say about evil people. It's not that they are beyond help, but they are probably beyond your help. So those of you who are foolish, you're like, I'm a good savior, I'm telling you. Don't put the red S on your chest and the cape on your neck and fly in for that rescue. That person doesn't want to be rescued. They want to hurt you. So if you approach them, you will harm yourself. This is where you have a closure conversation. We're done. 
We're not talking anymore. We're not doing life together. I'm not gonna be guilted into this. You go do your thing, I go do my thing. I love you, I forgive you, I want the best for you, but I'm not responsible for you and I don't feel safe with you, so I'm not walking with you. And so with these people, what they need is a professional. They need a lawyer to tell them what they've done. They need a police officer to put them in jail. They need a professional counselor to take them through some sort of program. What they need is professional help. And that's not your role or responsibility. Does that make sense? So here's what happens. Number one, you gotta ask yourself, am I wise, foolish, or evil? Another way to ask it would be, where am I wise, where am I foolish, where am I evil? The relationships that I pursue for significant relationships, am I pursuing them with people that are wise, foolish, or evil? Foolish and evil people are a bucket with no bottom. It doesn't matter how much time, energy, and money you put in, they're not retaining or obeying any of it. Foolish people, they're a bucket with a bottom. It's easier to make a significant relationship. So you give these people more, you give these people less, you give these people nothing. Does that make sense? So how do you build? I can tell this is a little heavy. I kind of expected it. Because what you're looking at is your own life and the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, let's talk about these things. So I want you to take some time with the Holy Spirit this week to process these things. And some of you are looking at the relationships in your life and saying, I'm starting to think of people. Judge yourself before you judge others. Consider yourself before you consider others. But because I'm your pastor, because I love you, I don't want evil people to harm you. I don't, I don't. So how do you build significant relationships? Well, there's two kinds of relationships, three kinds of people. There are four helpful habits and here they are. Number one, prayer. I believe the shortest distance between two people is prayer. I believe it's really hard not to have a good relationship with someone that you're praying with and praying for each other, okay? James chapter five, verse 16 says, pray for one another. Pray for them, pray with them. What that does, that brings you both into alignment with God's will. That's how you have unity in a relationship. It's bringing that first relationship with God into your relationship with the person. And it's putting God at the center, praying with each other, praying for each other. This will help you to walk with one another, carry each other's burdens, celebrate each other's victories. I'm just telling you, if you really want a significant relationship, pray for them, pray with them, amen? Pray for them, pray with them. And this starts with your spouse and it starts with your children if you're married. And those are the first significant relationships you have. For some reason, I don't want to be critical, but make an observation. As I have been here in the valley dealing with people who are what I will call Word people, Bible people. Am I a word guy, Bible guy? For sure. But a lot of the word people I meet are not prayer people. They're, they take a lot in, but then they don't converse a lot out, okay? We wanna be people who hear from God through the scriptures and talk to God through prayer. And that's how relationships are formed through listening and talking. And this is how a relationship with God can be flourishing and that it invites other people into that relationship with God. And again, um, this is how the Holy Spirit flows in a relationship is through prayer. And for, for those of you men who really wanna build a significant relationship with your wife, pray with her, pray for her. That's where you start. Number two, privacy. Proverbs 17, nine, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who uh, repeats a matter separates close friends. There's a big difference between secrecy and privacy. Evil people don't want you to know that. Foolish people didn't know it was true. Wise people practice it regularly. Secrecy is we're gonna do something evil and nobody's gonna find out. Privacy is, it's none of your business. It's none of your business, right? That's why you took a shower and got dressed at home, not the grocery store, amen? It's not because it's secrecy, it's privacy. Like not everybody needs to be involved in this. This is more of a private matter, okay? There are things in life that some people need to know, but not all people need to know, amen? What happens is foolish people will take private information, put it public, and then evil people use it to cause harm. One of the words, see if you can guess it, one of the words that is mentioned most frequently in divorce cases in America right now 
is one particular word cited as a leading cause in the legal briefs for the divorce. What is that word? Facebook. Facebook is where foolish people don't practice privacy and evil people use it to cause harm. Oh, my wife and I are fighting. She's a real problem. Pray for her, click. If I, if I say pray for her, then it's godly. Well, then her former college boyfriend sees it and instant messages her. And next thing you know, you got too many people on date night. Right? You see how this works? Foolish people don't practice privacy and then evil people use it to their advantage. Okay, privacy, I've got a buddy of mine. He says, uh, I'm your bank vault. What he means is if I talk to him about something, it's between us. We talk about it and there it is. That's, that's how it needs to be. You can't have a significant relationship where there's no privacy. And if your first instinct is, well, I, I'm frustrated, I need to say something. Back to that first relationship, not to the internet, send. Find some wise people to talk to. Grace and I have a short list. Women she could talk to, men I could talk to, couples we could talk to, that we both agree are wise. Honey, if you wanna talk to somebody, here's your wise counsel, here's my wise counsel, here's our wise counsel. Right. When you're in a situation, say, okay, God first, I need to talk to the Lord about this. And then wise counsel. I need, I need to know who I'm gonna talk to that's wise. I'm not going to just talk to the first person in front of me. What if they're a fool or evil? And I'm certainly not gonna throw it out to the universe and hope that wise people are the ones who are interested in following up with me. Number three, perseverance. Proverbs 17, 17. A true friend loves at what times? All times. And a brother is born for adversity. Some people are only there when things are bad. You know why? They need to be needed. They, 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 they're looking for a reason to put the cape on and fly in and save the day. So when things are bad, they're like, I'm here. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna walk with you. You tell Jesus to sleep in. I got this, I'm here. <laughs> and then when things are better, they're gone because they didn't love you. They needed to be needed. Other people are only there when things are really, really good. You got a raise, woohoo, let's go out drink margaritas and eat nachos, you got fired? Well, good luck, brother, you know, good luck. There are certain people that are only there when times are good. There are people that are there when times are hard. The people that leave when times are good, the Puritans used to call them swallow friends. They said they leave when winter comes. You're gonna have certain friends that are only there for winter, certain that are only there for summer. And the truth is a real friend is there for all the seasons. They're there when times are good, they're there when times are bad and they persevere. Grace is my best friend, been with me for 28 years through all the seasons. If you wanna have significant relationships, times are good, I'm here, I can celebrate without getting jealous. Times are bad, I'm here, I'm empathetic, I wanna love, help and serve. Significant relationships are tested over time and they are tried through trial. And sometimes the trial is a win and sometimes the trial is a loss. Point number four, so prayer, privacy, perseverance, and pardon. There is no relationship where there is no forgiveness. It says it this way in the New International Version of 1 Corinthians 13, five, the context there is love. Love keeps no record of wrongs, okay? How many of you are in a relationship with this person? You said that, I'm gonna write that down. You did that, I'm gonna write that down too. You were supposed to do that, you didn't do it, I'm gonna write that down. What you said, that wasn't the right thing to say. I had an expectation, it was unmet, I'm disappointed. In fact, I'm hurt by that, so I'm gonna write a couple of things down. Now I see a pattern, oh, you did this last year and the year before that, and you did it now. Hmm, that must be who you are and how you are. You're like your mother. I'm gonna write that down too. Write that down. And then it's just year after year after year after year. 
That's a record of wrongs. You feel like you're living in a courtroom and the person you're in a relationship with is a judge and every day is just another guilty sentence. I talked to a guy recently, he's not a Christian, doesn't go to the church, he didn't know I was a pastor. He just told me his whole life story because for some reason that happens with me. And <laughs> he said, uh, yeah, my wife divorced me and my dog died. It's a hard season and I really, really, really miss my dog. <laughs> How about your wife? He's like, yeah, she divorced me but I really miss my dog. It's like, that's sad. And he's like, well, relationships with pets are easier than relationships with people because they just don't bring up all the bad stuff you do. Hmm. If you want to have a significant relationship, love keeps, what kind of record of wrongs? None. Is it okay to keep a record of rights? Yes. Okay, married woman says yes. We'll go with that, okay? <laughs> I have never had this counseling appointment between a husband and wife or two friends. I'm about done with this person. For the last 10 years, they wrote down all the nice things I've said, all the kind things I've done, and all the reasons they praise God for me, and they just keep bringing it up. <laughs> right? <laughs> Right? Like, right? It's, it's, is it okay to keep a record of right? Yeah. Is it okay? Is it okay to make a record of wrongs if you don't keep a record of wrongs? Yeah, in fact, to forgive someone, you need to know what the debt is that you're forgiving, so you need to total it up. Counselors will call this a closure letter or... Um, a process letter, thank you, sweetheart. And what, there's wise counsel. And uh, what will happen is you'll say, you know what, there is a, you don't do this with every, if you're doing a process letter for everyone you know, <laughs> you're the variable that is complex in all of those relationships, okay? But what I'm saying is when there's a particular grief or a hurt or a loss or a stick point in a relationship, uh, counselors will talk about a processing where you're like, you know what, I want you to write out what happened, your perspective, how you feel, how that hurts you, what complicated in your life, and you need to write that all out. And what a wise person does, they said, and I'm gonna bring this as a prayer to the Lord. I'm gonna bring it to a counselor, a pastor, godly, wise, safe counsel. A foolish person says, I'm gonna post this on the internet. And an evil person says, uh, I'm gonna read it and talk about it. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but love makes a record of wrongs. I'll tell you a little story. Did you know that Satan has a record of all your wrongs? Some of you hear it almost every day in demonic attack and accusation. You hear it like this, you are a failure, you are worthless, you should kill yourself, you have done it again, you are like your mother, you are like your father, you are damaged goods, you will never change. And what he does is he brings up the record of wrongs over and over and over and over. Revelation 12, 10 says that Satan is the accuser of the children of God and he accuses them day and night. He doesn't take a three-day weekend, he never takes a day off. And Colossians 2, 13 through 15, I'm paraphrasing, talks about our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it says that when the Lord Jesus went to the cross, that literally he took with him the record of wrongs committed by us. What happens when someone is guilty, the record of their conviction gets read and then they are punished. And what happens in Christianity is the record of our conviction is read and then Jesus is punished. And Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says that the record of our wrongdoing is literally nailed to the cross of Jesus, that he dies in our place so that our punishment is met, that our sins are forgiven. It furthermore then goes on to say that he then cancels any accusation that our enemy would have against us. And it literally says he forgives it. 
and it's over. And it's gone. And because of Jesus, we can have a significant relationship with God. And only through Jesus can we have a significant relationship with anyone else. So that as he treats us, that's how we treat each other. We were all foolish, we were all evil, and Jesus alone was wise, amen? Amen. And he wants a significant relationship with you. And he wants to help you have significant relationships with others. And he wants to help us move toward that place of being wise. I love you. It's a great honor to be your pastor. We're a brand new baby church and how we do relationships will define what kind of church we have. Father, I invite the Holy Spirit so that those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus would come to know of his salvation and his forgiveness. Lord Jesus, for those of us who do know you um, and we've been acting foolishly, at least in areas and aspects of our lives, I pray that we would seek wisdom. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the spirit of wisdom and that you bring us wisdom. Lord, for those of us who are in relationships with people who are evil, I pray, Lord God, for a way of escape, a fresh start, that we would love them and forgive them and want good for them, but not continue with them or feel obligated to them. I pray especially, Lord God, just feel a burden for anyone who's in a dating relationship that is abusive, that is violent, that is unsafe, that is codependent. I pray, Lord God, for their ability to have a healing relationship, a safe relationship with you, Lord Jesus, and that until that relationship is secure, that they wouldn't seek any other deep and intimate relationships. Lord God, I thank you that we have an opportunity to have a relationship with you and a relationship with one another that is marked by wisdom and health and life. So God, I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that he took that record of wrong to the cross, that Lord Jesus, you suffered and died in our place, that you canceled that debt that we owed, that you took away that punishment that we deserved and you forgave us. And you literally took that record of wrongs and you tossed it aside so that we could move on in a new life, holding your hand in relationship with you. I pray for all of our relationships that they would be modeled after the relationship that we have with Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.